my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, where we cover the decentralized revolution that is happening around the world right now. Of course, we're talking about Bitcoin, we're talking about cryptocurrencies, but really we're talking about, like I said, the decentralized revolution, the way that it is unfolding across the world. And really, we're talking about the intersection of technology, finance, and politics, all coming together to change the world as we know it today. Now, the way that the world works, the way that the world is organized depends on the way that we use technology. So as you go back through history, hundreds of years, even thousands of years, you can see that the world works differently. So for example, 
We saw in the 1500s, in the, in the 16th century, we saw the world really shift into um, more of a decentralized phase, leaving behind the centralization that was brought between the church and the state as they ruled things. And what really led to that change was 70 years earlier was the printing press. It was a new technology. It was a new technology that was created, the printing press, that decentralized information. People were able to get books People were able to share information and it led to this decentralization. Over the last 250 years, we've led to more centralization because of the industrial revolution that happened. The industrial revolution led to us building factories, machines, equipment, factories, and then it led to big cities. And it led for the last 250 years, we've been centralizing. And of course, if you wanted to be successful, you had to move to the city where the jobs were. But today, the, the internet has done very similar to what the printing press did, which is now decentralizing information. And now people are able to live and work anywhere they want. And for the next 100 years, we'll see the world continue to decentralize out. And that's what we're talking about um, as this decentralized revolution that we're talking. It's going to change the world more than most people realize. Now, when we we talk about Bitcoin, we talk about most likely, uh, typically today we're talking about it in, in thinking about it in terms of money. And what happens is money is kind of the killer application of what Bitcoin is today, similar as when the internet first came out, how email was the killer application. And when electricity was first invented, light was the killer application of electricity. Of course, today electricity is used for all types of things. And as Bitcoin has been coming out over the last uh, decade or so, about dozen years, a lot of people still today wonder why. Why do we need Bitcoin? What purpose does it serve? And so forth. And, um, you know, because money is that killer application. And as I like to say, as Bitcoiners like to say, if we can fix the money, we can fix the world. One of the most apparent use cases for Bitcoin has been for helping to solve human rights issues all around the world. Um, we've seen that it's been protecting humans' rights. Um, mostly, we would see that in third world nations. And so when I talk about third world nations, we're talking about places like Venezuela, for example, where um, the leaders have inflated the currencies so fast that people can't even afford to, you know, they can't save money, they can't even afford to buy food. Um, we saw, we, we've seen that, you know, because of that, because these people in Venezuela are trying to evade the hyperinflation that's completely stealing their wealth, um, and then they have strict financial controls, they've been able to move towards something like Bitcoin to help them. Um, you know, for example, in Venezuela, where that currency is losing over 2,500% inflation per year, it's completely destroyed their economy. Um, then the Venezuela regime then cut off money coming from abroad. Um, basically, if anybody wanted to help, if I wanted to help from the United States and send money down to Venezuela, I don't really have a lot of good options. The The regime that, that controls Venezuela, you know, basically forced everyone to go through local banks, disclose how, you know, disclose all their information, how much money they're getting, who they're getting it from, and how they're going to use that money. If I wanted to send a wire transfer from the United States down to somebody in Venezuela, they would take over half, over half of the money would be taken by the regime. Uh, and we see this happening all over the world, you know, in, in uh, places like in Africa, et cetera, where um, there may be, you know, we want to send aid to them. Typically, the dictator or the regime that controls those areas would maybe take all of it, if not a good percentage of it. And even if they were going to allow it to flow through, it would get eaten up by fees through all the different banks and intermediaries that it would have to go through. Of course, 
Like I said, if they don't want aid to get to the people, then they just stop it altogether. Um, one thing that we saw like in Venezuela is that we could maybe wire money to Colombia and then people could walk across the border, get the cash, and then they could try to come back with the cash. Of course, that's very difficult. Walking walking across uh, dangerous areas like that with cash is always difficult. Uh, one, getting across the border, they could take it from you. Two, obviously, rob, you know, get robbed, get mugged, things like that are happening. And that's not the only place. Of course, like I said, in Africa, we seen lots of the same things in Zim, in Zimbabwe. They've printed so much money. It's inflated away the savings of the citizens. There's nothing they could do. Um, so they're trying to move their money into, into something else. Um, you know, other places throughout Africa, refugee camps where maybe they don't have access to money. They don't have access to banks. We couldn't send them money, but if they had an internet connection, we could send them Bitcoin directly. Now, cash has been one of the best ways to exercise free speech. We talk about Talk about the best way to vote is with your money. And when you have something like cash, you can do that. But like I said, in the problem of these places, they don't even have the cash. And this really leads to human rights, right? This leads to human rights. So sound money is a human right. When I talk about sound money, I'm talking about money that cannot be created at will, cannot be inflated away. It's money that's not liable to sudden appreciation or depreciation in value, like in Venezuela or in Zimbabwe, where they printed a lot. Um, so that's sound money. Now, human right is a right that you would think you believe that belongs to everybody, right? We're born with those things like freedom of association or freedom to acquire property or dispose of that property. And so like freedom of association being the right to um, associate with who I want to associate with, right? The rather to what we're seeing, you know, in the United States, in the First Amendment, we have the right to assemble, the right to gather. And then of course, the right to assemble, the right to gather leads to the right to protest. Now, if you believe in democracy, then that should be the people getting what they want, right? It should be listening to the people. It's supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And so the people should be able to voice what it is that they want, right? And with that right, individuals should be free to associate with groups and those groups might have goals. And then the problem is those goals might run counter to what the regime in power wants. Now, typically, like I said, we think about this in in uh, dictatorships, right? Uh, in third world countries, you hear about, um, you know, these uh, elections that are, are filled with fraud, right? Um, and maybe this dictator has completely silenced his, uh, his opposition, and he's stolen the vote. And so um, you typically think about it in those terms. And of course, they control the money, then they can control what the people do, uh, what the people can buy, but, uh, but even more, they can control how they can move around the country, how they may or may not be able to you know, fund the opposition and things like that. Um, and so it's so important for human rights for us to be able to have that sound money, have the freedom of association, and of course, then the freedom to acquire and dispose of property. And so I should have the freedom to use my energy to extend my energy to acquire property. So that might be food, so I could have food for later. Uh, it could be a house that I could live in. And it could be money that's my property that I could spend at a later time. I should also have the right to dispose of my property as I see fit, right? My property should be mine. Private property rights underpin every society. You have to have private property rights. And so the central bank shouldn't have the ability to dispose of my money by printing more of it. That's exactly what they do. And they print trillions of dollars. My private property becomes 
worthless. And so Bitcoin has been one of the tools that's been being used for human rights around the world. Um, it's freedom money. It allows me freedom because it allows me to control my money, my property in a way that, that I see fit. It's anti-authoritarian. And so nobody can tell me what I can and can't do with my money or my property. Um, it's not uh, it's not anti anybody or any or a even anti government. It's just anti authoritarian because it doesn't allow anybody to control what I do with my money. Uh, don't go away. I'll be back with more in just a second. All right, welcome back. You are listening to the Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're talking about the changes that are happening in the world right now. So you can understand these things in better context of what's going on. Now, uh, before the break, we were talking about how the world's changing rapidly. We're talking about how the technology that we use changes the way the world organizes and how this new technology, this decentralized technology of Bitcoin is changing the way the world works. Now, lots of the world lives under authoritarian regimes. Um, that means that they live, you know, North, you think of North Korea, for example, right, where, or Cuba, right, where you don't have the right to go start a business and make money. Nope, you have to rely on the state to give you rations. They're authoritarians, they control, or they, they're over, you know, they have authority over your life, and they basically control every aspect of your life, telling you what you can and can't do. Of course, you might think of Venezuela, you might think of uh, these really, you know, uh, third world countries in Africa, things like that. When I, when I say authoritarian regimes, that's typically what you think of North Korea, right? And Bitcoin's been helping. It's been helping a lot. Like I said, uh, I was talking about before the break, you know, uh, trying to get money to people in those regimes is almost impossible because it goes through the banking system. And of course, the authoritarians control the banking system. And if they do let the money get through, they'll take some more time. Sometimes over half of the money gets taken up by bank fees plus um, their, their cut. Um, and in a lot of these places, they don't allow the money to get through. What they want to do is have capital control laws. They want to control the capital. They don't want to allow you to get out of the capital. Um, they don't want anyone. They don't want you to be allowed to receive any type of capital from anyone else. And of course, that's a big problem, right? Some of these places they're literally starving to death. I'm sitting here in the United States, and you know, I'm I'm fortunate, and I have some money, and I might want to send some of that money to these people in these um, affected areas, and we're not even able to do that. This is a human rights issue, in my opinion. Now, while you typically think of that happening in these authoritarian regimes like Venezuela or like North Korea, it's now happening right here in North America. As a matter of fact, we're talking about Canada. Canada is trying to become the next authoritarian nation um, as fast as they can. And I'm talking about fast. Now, this is not the typical authoritarian world that we have kind of been used to over the last, you know, whatever, four or five decades. I, I grew up as a kid under the Cold War. I remember, um, you know, how that was. And we've, you know, for the last couple of decades, we've been seems like relatively peaceful. But what we're seeing is a new form of authoritarianism that we haven't seen in the past. So in the past, we would see a dictator march in with with the military and they would have a coup and they would, you know, take over a country. Maybe lots of people would be would, would be killed right through that takeover. But today we're seeing a new form of authoritarianism. And this time they're smiling and waving at you, right? We have uh, Justin Trudeau up there in Canada, just smiling and waving at everybody. And uh, he looks so nice. And he says nice things. 
and he seems so sweet and he even tells us the right things. So I, I, I dug up some stuff on Justin Trudeau. We saw here in May, on May 23rd of 2012, you can check his Twitter profile. Uh, that's one thing about the internet. It, it archives everything. And so back in 2012, he tweeted on his own account. He said, I'm going to read it. Quote, when a government starts trying to cancel dissent, or avoid dissent is when it's rapidly losing its moral authority to govern. End quote. I'm going to say that again. When a government starts to cancel dissent or avoid dissent, it's when it's losing its moral authority to govern. That's his words. When it tries to cancel dissent or avoid dissent, what's dissent? So that's when people have a different opinion. So when the people don't want what the government may want, that is dissent. Now, remember, in a democracy, it's supposed to be for the people, by the people, of the people. It's supposed to be what the people want. The people are supposed to be able to discuss that. And in his own words, I'll read it back, it's losing its moral authority to govern. So in his own words, if he's, if he's canceling dissent, which is exactly what we've been seeing happen in Canada for the last couple of weeks, he has, in his own words, lost his own moral authority to govern. So they say nice things like that in 2012, and then you believe them. Um, then in uh, March, on March 31st, 2020, he tweeted out, I'll read it, quote, while many of us are working from home, there are others who aren't able to do that, like the truck drivers who are working day and night to make sure our shelves are stocked. So when you can, please thank a trucker for everything they're doing and help them however you can, end quote. That was just two years ago. Thank the truckers because they're out there risking their lives while we're all hiding at home. That's what he said. So they say nice things like that. But if we would go even further back, maybe we would find out what their real intentions are. As a matter of fact, as I like to say, I want to take them at their word. And so I read their books. I listen to what they say. And as a matter of fact, I have a clip from Trudeau uh, that I want to play for you right here. And in his own words, he's going to tell us exactly what he wants. Let's go ahead and play that clip about Trudeau. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime. Hmm. So he really likes China because <laughs> it's a dictator. Uh, now, look, this is not a show about politics. There's plenty of shows that you can listen to talk about politics. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. So what does all this have to do with Bitcoin and all of that? Well, what it has to do with all of that is Trudeau wanting to be a dictator has enacted what he's calling the Emergencies Act. And in this Emergencies Act, he wants to take over your money. Not only just take over your money, he wants to control every aspect of your money. Um, and let's go ahead and I have a clip queued up for that, for this, uh, for this Emergencies Act. Go ahead and play that clip. First, we are broadening the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules so that they cover crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use. These changes cover all forms of transactions, including digital assets, such as cryptocurrencies. Hmm. So, um, you know, if you don't go along with the party line, then they want to not only seize your accounts, seize your bank accounts, take your money, but if anybody even tries to offer you money or help you, they want to call that terrorism. 
Sounds like they've gone a long way away from what he said in 2012, which is uh, any government that try, tries to cancel or avoid dissent has lost their moral authority. And so it's about the money. That's why we say if we can fix the money, we can fix the world. We need to have freedom in our money. It's a human rights issue. Now, when I talk about it in Venezuela or Africa or North Korea, you seem to get it. But do you get it when it's happening right here in Canada? Because it's coming really quick, not only to Canada, but also to the United States. I want to explain to you what this emergency act is. I want to talk about the terrorist financing. I want to talk about what's happening in the United States in regards to this. And then I want to game plan this out. Where does this go? What can they really do? And then we're going to talk about some privacy coins using privacy. Is Bitcoin private? I have a lot more to cover. You're listening to the Mark Moss show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution that we are living through right now with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're talking about it in context of what is going on right now. I'm telling you, history books are going to be written about this. And so you need to understand what's going on. Uh, I have a lot more to cover, a lot of ground to cover, a lot more quotes. So don't go away. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm going to be right back with more. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about cryptocurrencies. A lot of ground to cover. A lot of ground to cover right now because the world is changing so fast. And so I'm with you each and every week trying to keep you up to date on what is happening. Because if you don't understand it in the context of what is happening right now, then you won't be able to understand what's going on. Now, this is going to be the biggest shift uh, we'll ever see in our lifetime, in multiple lifetimes. And it might be one of the biggest shifts we've seen in the last 250 years, maybe 500 years. And uh, I know that sounds pretty big, but that is what is happening. That's why it's important that you are paying attention. And that's why you should be <laughs> tuning into me each and every week if you're not already. So uh, if you're not driving your car, you could stop, you could pull out your phone and you could put in a calendar reminder to join me each and every week at this time, at this channel. Uh, it's the most profitable, it's the most important, it's the most informative and educational part of your week, so don't miss out. Now, before the break, we were talking about um, what's going on. We're talking about authoritarian regimes across the world. We were talking about authoritarian regimes that you might consider like North Korea or third world countries in Africa or, or South America, things like that, and how um, getting you know humanitarian aid to those people has, is important. Um, but, but getting humanitarian aid to them in traditional um, channels, like through banks and things like that, is very difficult because a lot of these authoritarian regimes, these dictators... Um, don't want you to send them money. And if you do send them money, they're going to take it or take a big chunk of it. And even if they don't, the banks take a big chunk of it. Um, if you have a friend or you have a family member or you know somebody who's like literally starving in South Korea, or I'm sorry, North Korea, good luck trying to get them money, right? You can't do that. Um, but if you have something like Bitcoin, you can you can send them Bitcoin. Uh, we can see, you know, we've, we've talked about extensively what's going on down in El Salvador and about 30% of the gross domestic product of El Salvador comes from remittances. That means people in the United States sending them money. Now, the nation of El Salvador doesn't block that, doesn't steal it, but but the fees add up either way. Um, but in some countries, like I'm saying, in these authoritarian regimes, these dictatorships, they do take the money. And while that seems somewhat understandable and you understand maybe that's actually a pretty good use case, uh, right? Human rights, human aid, et cetera, you don't think about it happening right here in North America, right here in Canada, or right here in the United States. But that's exactly what's happening. Justin Trudeau has put into place the Emergencies Act. We talked about in that in the last um, in the last break, before the break. And I played you a clip of exactly what they said. And they said that they want to um, 
look at anybody who's funding something they don't like, um, dissent, which in his own words in 2012, he said that if anyone tries to block dissent, they're losing the moral authority to govern. Uh, but now they want to block this dissent and anybody that wants to help them um, could be labeled as a terrorist. So <clears throat> they've gone a step further. We've seen um, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, RCMP, Canada's National Police Force, has issued an order requiring all FinTrack regulated organizations in Canada to stop interacting with 34 crypto wallets. So, you know, protest in Trudeau's own words, um, dissent should be something that is a, uh, is uh, morally acceptable. He says it's the loser more authoritarian. If you try to block dissent um, in a democracy, the people's voice should matter. Of course, um, throughout 2020, uh, we saw in the United States, we saw BLM and Antifa um, march through the United States, lighting cities and towns on fire. And that was uh, acceptable, even though the whole world was in a pandemic lockdown. You couldn't go to a park with your kid, but apparently to protest and burn down and loot cities was acceptable. Uh, we saw our leaders like AOC tell us that that was an acceptable form. And people, they said it makes people uncomfortable. In AOC's words, she said it makes people uncomfortable and it should and that was okay. And uh, BLM was, I think, raised what, $60 million, and that's okay. But the Canadians that are peaceful, and they're just parked, and they're dancing, and they're waving Canadian flags, are now terrorists, even though they have done no crime. Uh, they have done no what would, you would consider terrorism. And now, um, to the point, is if you even give them money via a crowdfunding platform, that would be terrorism. And so now they're saying the Radio Canadian Mint um, our RCMP are going to issue orders to stop and regulate all these crypto wallets. So what does that mean? So Bitcoin, as we talk about, has been, um, you know, it solves a humanitarian crisis. It's a way that I can send money to people in need without these dictators um, seizing it or stealing it. But that's exactly what's happening in Canada. Now, can they really do that? Um, they say they want to stop interacting with 34 crypto wallets. So the way it works is um, you have a bank account at Bank of America or Wells Fargo, and you have a bank account number, right? And if I wanted to send you money to your bank account, you can give me your bank account um, number and I could go to your bank and deposit it in that account number. And so your crypto is sort of the same. You have a you have an account number, you have a wallet address. And if I, if you want to send me Bitcoin, which I would like if you wanted, or I wanted to send you Bitcoin, you would just give me your address, your wallet address, and I could send you Bitcoin there. Um, and so that is public. That is, uh, people know what that address is if you've given it to them. And so they are able to see which addresses are involved in this crowdfunding or this fundraising, and now they want to block it. We can see in a quote here, the Ontario Provincial Police and Radio Royal Canadian Mounted Police are currently investigating cryptocurrency donations being collected in relation to illegal acts falling under the scope of the Emergency Measures Act, end quote. Now, in relation to illegal acts, they say, well, <laughs> what's, what's illegal? Anything the state says is illegal? Because like, you know, the United States has a constitution that says what's allowed, Canada also has a constitution that says what's allowed, but these people are just making any laws that they want. So for example, in Ottawa, I think last weekend, it was illegal to honk your horn. <laughs> like what? Is that somewhere written in the constitution? You can't honk a horn? Cause when like, you can always honk your horn. Now I can't honk a horn. That's a law. That's illegal. Uh, and then they went and seized everyone's gas. Oh, like, I guess I can't now I can't own gas. Gas is illegal to own. 
Like they can't just say anything they want is illegal. At some point, the people have a voice that should be heard. And so they're saying um, these illegal acts, well, what's illegal? Honking my horns illegal since when? Kind of a thing, right? But back to the point, um, what can they do with these 34 crypto wallets? Um, they said that one wallet contains over $1 million in Bitcoin. It's part of this Hong Kong total effort to support the truckers through cryptocurrencies after more than $9 million was um, stolen, <laughs> seized from the GoFundMe's account. And so the federal police have listed 29 Bitcoin addresses, two Ethereum addresses, and one wallet for each of the cryptocurrencies, Cardano, Monero, and Litecoin. Each wallet is said to have transacted between um, zero to $1.1 million in assets. The police have, have asked for any information about transaction or proposed transaction regarding these addresses to be disclosed immediately to the task force. But how does that work? Because I thought Bitcoin was supposed to be censorship resistant. I thought Bitcoin is supposed to be somewhat anonymous. So can they really take it? What can they really do? It's interesting, right? Well, let's talk about that. So you might have heard that Bitcoin is an open source. It's anonymous, but not private. So what does that mean? Anonymous, not private. Well, everybody has an address, as I explained, but we don't know who those addresses belong to. Private would be you can't see any of the transactions. Anonymous means it's open. I can see them. I just don't know who they belong to. Now, there are some ways to try to start figuring that out. Um, so when you typically buy Bitcoin or you sell Bitcoin, you have to buy it on an exchange that's regulated and you have to do, go through something called KYC or know your customer where you're going to upload your driver's license and your passport and you're going to upload a picture of yourself and all these things. And so what they could do is they can say, well, you bought it here with your ID and then you sold it here with your ID and then they could use some artificial intelligence software to start to try to put all those transactions together. So that's one that way that could be done. Um, but then we also have privacy coins that could also be more private. They can't see that. There's a lot going on, right? You listen to the Mark Moss show. I'll be back with more in a second. Don't go away. All right. Welcome back. You are listening to the Mark Moss show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution that is happening right now. We're witnessing it and it is happening at an accelerated pace. Of course, I'm talking about Bitcoin. I'm talking about the the intersection of politics, finance, and technology all wrapped into one. And it's never been more apparent as to why it might be important than it is right now today. Um, you know, Bitcoin is a decentralized protocol. There's no company, there's no president, there's no marketing department, there's no, um, none of that. There's no budget. <laughs> there's none of that. Um, you didn't see it advertised on the Super Bowl because <laughs> there's no company to pay for it. Um, but the governments are doing a pretty good dang, they're doing a good dang job of uh, doing the doing the promotions for us. They're proving uh, as to why we need it. Uh, they're putting a lot of focus on that. And it's pretty important. Now, um, before the break, I was talking about how, um, you know, under this new Emergencies Act that, that Canada has proposed, they want to, uh, they want to blacklist like 34 um, addresses. And so if you've, uh, they, they've, they've identified these addresses, which I said are, um, you know, they're, they're, it's an open source network. So while it's anonymous, we don't necessarily know who owns that address. Um, it is, uh, it is viewable. So people can see that address. They can see um, where it's transacting, right? Who it's transacting back and forth with. Um, so what can they really do with that? Right. What can they really do with that? Well, um, there's a couple things. So, you know, a lot of people might be hearing about or thinking about or talking about things like called privacy coins. So privacy coins would be like Monero or Zcash or pirate coin and things like that. And the way that a um, privacy coin works is that it's not open source, right? So like with Bitcoin, it's open. And so you can see all the wallets. And I could, if I had a wallet address, I could plug it into like a block explorer 
and I could see that this wallet sent money, you know, sent coins to this wallet and this wallet sent coins to that wallet. And you can kind of follow those types of transactions. It leaves a trail. But with privacy coins like Monero or Zcash, it doesn't. And so you can't see all the transactions and it doesn't leave a history or a trail. And so a lot of people might say, well, if they would only use a privacy coin, then none of this would be a problem. But there's a couple things with this. So first of all, um, if the government, in this case, says these uh, 34 um, known addresses, um, we have to watch those. Well, <laughs> this is where it gets uh, kind of funny. I have to have a little chuckle um, because technology is going to make the nation state, let's say, impotent. Uh, let's say irrelevant. So they're going to say, well, these 34 addresses, you know, we can't do, we can't do transactions with them. Okay. Well, I could just probably go create a hundred new addresses in the next five seconds. So how about I just create a new address and I, and I send it over there. So the way that a, a Bitcoin transaction works is obviously, I'm sure it's probably apparent unless you're listening for the first time, by the way, you're listening to the Mark Ma show. If you're listening for the first time, then maybe you don't understand, but you're not really sending a coin. And there's no such thing as a coin. Um, Bitcoin is just a is just a network, and it's just code. And so the code is made up of um, let's call it bits and bytes. They're known as UTXOs. And so when I send a Bitcoin transaction, it's made up of these UTXOs or these bits and bytes that go together. And those bits and bytes um, they get mixed together and they get broken apart and they they have a history and they have a trail. And so what happens is let's say that uh, the government whichever government, authoritarian government you want to you want to name. Let's say that they say, uh, hey, merchant, uh, merchant A, you're not allowed to receive any coins that have UTXOs that are from these blacklisted addresses, for example. Now, first of all, the network itself, the Bitcoin network, it doesn't know any different. It's just a network. It, it's going to send and receive all the transactions, all the UTXOs, the same. Only the merchant could be forced by a government um, it's called an authoritarian government, um, to restrict that transaction. So for example, um, I want to go spend my Bitcoin at the McDonald's and McDonald's says, nope, we can't receive, the, receive those coins because they were tainted. Now, um, the reality of that at, at this point in time is um, that if I want to send Bitcoin to you or you want to send Bitcoin to me, I don't have a way to verify that and you don't have a way to verify that. And McDonald's doesn't have a way to verify that. Now, the banking institutions, or the, I should say the crypto exchanges, they do. So some of them have that capability and some of them are able to do that, but that's it's highly specialized and it's not being done at, on a wide scale. But the other thing is that there's a couple things I could do. One, I could use something known as like a coin mixing or like a coin join service and I could basically just obfuscate or kind of get rid of the history of the coin. Um, so that's one option. Or number two, I could just literally, while I'm talking to you, create a hundred new addresses and I could just send it from address one to two to three to four to 10 to 20 to 30 to 50 to 70. And once you go through about six hops, they can't really trans, they can't really follow it anyway. Six hops meaning go through six addresses. And so this is where it kind of gets a little bit funny where um, as the nation state continues to try to crack down on um, technology, they're going to find themselves more and more irrelevant because it's code. You can't stop code. It's sort of back to, as I was saying, in the 16th century, um, where the church tried to crack down on the printing press. And anybody that got a Bible or would read about it or talk about it was labeled a heretic. And they were literally killed, literally. And as much as they tried to control that information, as many people as they killed trying to control that, they couldn't stop it. There was just no way they could stop it. And eventually they lost their grip. And that's exactly what's happening today. The, the, the nation state will try to control it. They're going to try to pass a law that says you can't have a 3D printed gun, for example. Really? Because that's just code. And I could know the code in my head. Are you saying I can't memorize words now? Is that what you're saying? 
Um, like in order for me to secure my Bitcoin, I could memorize 12 words. So like, I can't memorize 12 words in my head now. Is that what the government's saying? I mean, if you think about it, like the government has had a war on drugs, a, a pretty strong war on drugs. They spent trillions of dollars in the last um, about four decades. And drugs have to be grown, right? In like Central America or South America, they're growing them. It's a crop, right? And they have to be processed and they have to be then packaged. They have to be shipped. They have to be smuggled. They have to be distributed. And they can't even stop that. They can't even stop them from getting into a prison, which is the most secure place. How are they going to stop something completely digital? Which is code that I can memorize in, their, in my head. They, they can't. And, and, and not that they can't, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Remember Justin Trudeau's quote I read earlier. He said that, uh, I'll read it again. When a government starts trying to cancel dissent or avoid dissent is when they lose their moral authority to, uh, to govern. And so why should they try to cancel dissent? Why should, they cancel, why should they control what I can and can't do with my money? It's my money. I earned it. Now, I get it. I get it. I get it. The argument, right? But some people might do bad things with that money. Sure. People do bad things with cars. What about that guy from Wakusha or whatever that he drove his car through the Christmas parade and killed those people? Should we ban cars? I mean, I can go to the I can go to the hardware store and buy all kinds of things that I could harm people with. Should we ban all that? Now, people could use money to do those bad things, but they can use lots of things. We can't just ban everything. Now, those bad things should be illegal. Sure, right? That should be illegal. You shouldn't be allowed to do those bad things. But to try to take away people's money is ridiculous. That's like saying we should just lock everybody in a box so they can't do anything wrong. Um, we shouldn't inconvenience billions of people. We shouldn't take billions of people's human rights away to try to manage for the couple of people that might do something wrong with it. Now, that's my opinion. Uh, I'd love for you to tell me if, uh, if you have a different opinion. Go ahead and uh, hit me on Twitter at number one Mark Moss, at number one Mark Moss, and let me know what you think. Now, I ran a poll on Twitter, speaking of Twitter, uh, before the show, and I asked a question. Um, with what's going on in, in Canada, uh, the government trying to crack down on cryptocurrencies, the nation states, Canada, the U.S., um, they're trying to ban it, right? They're trying to say that you can't transact it. They're trying to say that it could you could be a terrorist if you use it. So does it make you bullish or bearish? Does this make you more worried that uh, you shouldn't own Bitcoin or does it make you more in favor of it? And uh, over 1,000, almost 1,100 votes. Um Almost 90% said it makes them more bullish on Bitcoin and uh, about uh, almost 12% say they are bearish. What do you think? Hit me up on Twitter and let me know. By the way, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the intersection of politics, finance, and technology all coming together to change the way the world organizes, operates, and works. Hopefully that makes sense to you. It is the largest shift that we will ever see. Probably, like I said, the largest shift we have seen in 250 years, um, if not 500 years since the invention of the printing press. It's literally going to have that same effect. And it's <laughs> the nation state is not going to go out with a fight. I know I've called Bitcoin the great bait and switch. Most people buy it for the price appreciation and they end up staying for the freedom aspects, the freedom money. That's what's happening with the decentralized revolution. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Thanks for listening. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.